Beyond the Mic with Sean Dillon. We're joined on the BeyondTheMic.com star line by a former Texas commercial real estate guru who's now turned to the arts. Helene Abramson has been featured in galleries across Texas and has a story you need to hear. Helene, welcome. Hi. Let's go Beyond the Mic. Your first life was in commercial real estate in Houston. How did that challenge you? I started out thinking I wanted to be a psychologist. I was working for a developer apartment owner, and they said you would be better. I was doing human resources and recruiting, and they said you'd be better as a property manager, and you probably would have a better career. So they made me a property manager, and it just kind of went from there. I went to work for a small startup company that was owned by a woman who became kind of my mentor at the time. And at that time, there was a big push. This was in the 80s, mid-80s. You know, there was all this foreclosed real estate, commercial. It was a big push for women-owned businesses. So she just was at the right place at the right time, and she started a property management company and ended up getting contracts with the FDIC. So we had a boatload of foreclosed properties of all kinds, warehouses, office buildings, shopping centers. And so it was challenging and so much work because things were being foreclosed on just every day. And so we would get packages, government packages to bid on. And so that was a learning process just to get through the bid process. And because it was woman-owned, she was just landing everything. So it was a 24-hour thing. My son was a baby. She was partners with her husband, and they never had children, so she wasn't real sensitive about mommy issues, but she was, so we just worked and worked and worked for years. Let's talk about the incident that changed your life. You were undergoing a medical procedure that failed and left you legally blind. I remember my hallucinations more than I remember what happened actually in the hospital. I was on a lot of morphine. I had to have a lot of subsequent surgeries, but I can tell you about my hallucinations, (laughs) and I wasn't getting better. And one day my mother said, take her off the morphine. She has not known who anybody is for two months. And my mom was really upset. And the same time that I was in that situation, my sister came to visit me and fainted at my bedside and was diagnosed with cancer. So my mom had two girls in the same hospital. I didn't know any of it. When they took me off the morphine, I just started to come back to life and get some energy, and I didn't really know what was going on, but my doctor came in the room, and he said, well, what can I do for you today? I said, let me go home. He said, I've been waiting two months for you to say that. And so it took like less than 24 hours for him to discharge me. He just wanted to know that I was alert. When I got home, walking to the mailbox was a real feat because I'd been in bed for two months. I heard all the stories about what happened over that two months. One of the things that happened was when I got out of the hospital, I found out that my son, who had was just about to graduate from high school, I made it to graduation, like a miracle, was going to be a dad. So I had extreme motivation to get well. He graduated, and he had already enlisted in the Army, and that was just you know post-9-11, and he was headed to Iraq with a baby on the way. You know, I didn't really have time to think about myself. I mean, I just needed to get better. Now, I've heard your vision as looking like through two straws. How would you describe your vision? That's really the best way, but I don't really know if it's accurate. Speaking on the phone would be difficult, but if you picture like an XY axis, like a cross, your field of vision would be the entire area around that circle. And so you've got the middle, right? And then there's the circle. Well, your field of vision is that whole circle. 
my field of vision is the very center where the two lines cross. And I know that because I take, I have to take tests every few years and my vision, ne- and that's it. My vision never changes. It never, it hasn't gotten worse. It never gets better. My tests are almost exactly the same. Every time I take them, I'm the same in both eyes and the doctors don't understand it. But, you know, I maintain this tiny bit of vision because I was blind for most of those two months that I was in the hospital. I was 100% blind. One day a friend of mine came to visit. And again, remember, I was very out of it. And I said, oh, my God, I love your shirt. And, like, everybody was sitting in the room because I think my mom probably sat by my side most of the time. they just like, you see his shirt? You know, and they called in the doctors and they all burst in. And you know, I'm still really out of it. And they're like, you haven't been able to see for two months. Like, anything. Like, you, it's all been black. I still, when I first, when this first happened, I still had 20-20 vision. I could take an eye test. I have no peripheral vision, and it's even smaller than that. So it's very unnerving when I'm out in public. I can feel somebody might be close to me, but I can't see them. You started in decoupage, then moved into mixed media, and now mosaics. Was this a natural transition, or was there something about the media that drew you to it? Well, when I was in high school, like in the 70s, (laughs) decoupage was a big deal. You know, that was like cool art form back then. And I don't remember how I found it, but I found this little children's guitar in a resale shop. And I have a friend in Austin who is an avid guitar player. And so I bought it and I thought, what am I going to do with this kid's guitar? And I don't know. I just decoupaged it, sent it to him. And he's like, God, this is so cool. So then I ordered a broken guitar from eBay. And I spent like a year doing it. It's really I consider it one of my masterpieces, but I did it for him. He's a Native American. He's Hopi. So it was all Native-inspired. And I think a lot of the inspiration was I was learning so much about his culture, life on the reservation, and how he grew up. And it was pulling me, really pulling me. And so I was just... I don't know. I was fascinated, and I started looking at the symbolism, and... Um, all of it. So I just, I did this first guitar, which is a monster of a guitar because I didn't know better. I was teaching myself. I did the front, back, the sides. I mean, it weighs a ton and you can't hang it because the whole back is done. At one point I hated the back and I ripped it all off and I wood back on the back and started over. I mean, it was really an interesting self-teaching period. But the finished product, I don't know. I fell in love with the whole process. One of the pieces that drew my eye was your use of butterflies. Butterflies are so transformative. Exactly. And like your journey, you started as a caterpillar working in real estate, had to go into a cocoon before transforming yourself into the artist you are today. I love the way you said that. But yeah, that's true. And that's why the butterfly means so much to me. I mean, my friend told me, every girl likes butterflies. I'm like, but it's not the same. <laughs> it's very rare that I do a piece without a butterfly in it somewhere. Nature is, seems to be a big theme in a lot of my pieces. Color, I love color. I love all kinds of color combinations. I look at art online. I collect, I love portraiture, so I have a lot of paintings with all different emotions in them and all different colors and feelings and mosaics doesn't really communicate, I don't know if it does, but it's hard to communicate emotion through mosaics, but 
as I started doing it, people felt something and told me they felt something. So I just start working and don't know where it all comes from. It's just pulled in from all different parts of what I love. Now, which artist influenced you on this path? Oh, well, I tried to take a class in Houston from great people, but they really discouraged me, not intentionally, about my vision. And I felt crushed because there were certain technical aspects that I needed some guidance on. I was pretty much self-taught, but I went to them because I didn't, I wanted to grout the Pete, I wanted to grout another guitar with an expert who could teach me, you know, best way to grout, that kind of thing. So I just needed a little bit of that. But when I left, I felt like I really can't do this. Why, why am I trying to do this? Even though I had already kind of created one of my masterpieces, but I was so discouraged and downhearted. And I just was on Facebook and I saw Susan Wexler, her mosaics by Susan. And I sent her an email and I, I don't, I don't really remember how the exchange started, but there was instant chemistry. I mean, just instant. She's like understood. And she was so angry that anybody would discourage me. You know, she said, send me pictures of what you've done. She's like, this is crazy. You do not need to be discouraged. You need to be nurtured and encouraged and brought to life. She said, you, you've got it. You know, but in your vision, it's not going to be a problem. There's no way. And we had never met. She lives in Denver. She said that she had this place called Hacienda de Mosaico in Puerto Vallarta. I love Mexico. And it's like a bed and breakfast, but it's like a mini resort. There's like only eight people there at a time. You have your own little casita. There's a swimming pool. It's beautiful. Everything is mosaic there. The sidewalks, the walls, you know, the suite, everything. It's just peaceful and beautiful. She said, you will feel safe there because you cannot leave without somebody helping you, I'm guessing. There's like a, a gate at the front. She said, I think you'll be very safe. She said, I'll be there. I'll take care of you. And I will show you that you can do this. How did it make you feel when she said, you can do it? Oh, it's almost spiritual, <laughs> to be honest. Especially when I met her. I mean, it just, I mean, I love her. <laughs> you know, she's just a really good friend. And she gave me a new life. I mean, she did. Your son Josh is an Army Silver Star hero for clearing out an area of insurgents in Afghanistan, serving multiple tours in a war zone. You have to be very proud of him. I am. It was four tours in a war zone and one tour in a non-combat situation, but yes, I'm so proud of him. And he's a wonderful father. I have two beautiful granddaughters, and that's going to make me cry. Yeah. But, I mean, always I'm driven by them. And when the girls were little, they loved to do art with me. And they loved that my, you know, I don't have a car. I gave my car to him as soon as I got out of the hospital. Knew I would never drive again. So my garage is my studio. And when they were little, they loved coming and going in there and just getting dirty and creating things. You know, as a mom, you don't have as much patience that way. But as a grandmother, you do. And it's just like, get whatever you want. You can paint. You can, you know, you can glue things together. They I took them to take a mosaic class, you know, and that's all inspiration. That all comes back to me to see how free kids are. You know, it's just wonderful. What do your grandkids call you? Mimi. 
what I called my grandmother. Since my son is an only child, I got to pick, you know, so I want to be meaning. Now, you recently lost your guide dog, Chapman. I'm not sure if you're ready to find your next partner, but tell me how important a guide dog is to you. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> okay. Give me a second here. Yeah, I've been a dog lover all my life, and I rescue dogs, and I loved them all the ones that are gone and I have two little ones still but that's a pet a guide dog is a partner and they tell you that when they're interviewing you to see if you're qualified for one and you go through that initial process doesn't really ring because I always say oh I love dogs you know of course it's a partner I mean it made sense to me all my dogs were my partners I thought and the training that they have, and, and it's the oldest guide dog school in the country, and they breed their dogs. So, I mean, they know by the time you get a dog, they know your dog, and they match your personality, your limitations, your disabilities, all of that. They match it all together, and they try to pick the best dog. And so that's a whole process before you ever meet the dog. So your instructor meets you at the plane. It's all charity-driven. You don't pay for anything. It's in Michigan. And we'll plug for leader dogs for the blind. And she said, I have the dog for you. There's, there's like, no question. Whereas other students, they were going to take a few days to decide which dogs they got. But now I already know who you're getting. Okay. So you go on it. You, you get there on a Monday, Monday. You do some training for two days. And then Wednesday morning is the day you meet your dog. So everybody goes to their room. It's kind of like living in a college dorm. Everybody goes to their room, and you spend that first day bonding with your dogs. She brings Chavin into the room. And first of all, he was a gorgeous dog, you know, aesthetically gorgeous and big. And she said, you can, do, you can have a big dog because you have some vision. You can handle him. And... We just fell in love, and you stay for a month, so it's training day in and day out. You train for hours and hours and hours because there's way more to learn than people think. Because you, as the person on the team, you have to know how to use your dog. It's not just, okay, here's a dog. He's going to guide you around because he doesn't know where you need to go. You know, he doesn't know what you need from him. So you have to learn that. And so during that process, you just become... You just become so connected. And it's part of that breed of dog. It's part of the training. And it's part of the chemistry, I think, where he knew what I needed. He knew what I... He he was trained to take somebody that was totally blind. So there was an adjustment period because I had to learn how to let him take care of me. So that whole process for 30 days was incredible. And by the time we left, I knew I had my best friend. And it just got stronger and stronger over the years because I took him everywhere, traveled with him, took him on buses, took him on airplanes. I tried going back to school for a while, took him to University of Houston every day to class. There's a really big loss not having his presence because he was part of me. It's really the only way to say it. 
with the vision that you do have, could you describe Chapman to everyone? Uh, well, it was a, a mix of golden uh, retriever and Labrador. It was big, had a big head. I tried to keep him shaved because he, he said it a lot. And everywhere I went, when I was more active, I mean, people were just really drawn to him. So, you know, the harness has a sign on it that says, don't pet me, I'm working. <laughs> you can hear, like, can't see, but I could hear, like, moms telling kids, you can't pet him. But maybe you want to ask the lady if you can pet him. Like, the parents were the worst. The parents were the worst. So, in order not to, to make his training be negated, I would take the harness off. Because if the harness is on, he's working. And he's in work mode, and he's in command. You know, he's there to take commands. And, you know, a whole different stance, a whole different persona when he's got his harness on. You take it off, he's, he's, your, he's your pet, he's your friend, and I could let people pet him, so I would take the harness off. I couldn't tell a kid no. And Chapman was the friendliest dog. You know, and so I would usually say yes and take it off and let him get some love and, and put it back on. <laughs> and he just had a soul that people saw in him. It's very hard to explain. It's very hard to articulate that. You know, my dogs, are they're all cute and sweet and fun and playful and all that, but Chapman was just... Uh, not as close to human for me as it gets, you know? So, is it time for your next guide dog? I think so. With this whole pandemic thing, um, it's been kind of made clear to me how much he meant to me. I mean, I knew it, and but I'm still grieving, and it's been like two months. And not getting over him very well. And during this pandemic, I've thought I've missed his company so much because there's a lot of grief involved in what's going on right now. And he always knew when I was sad, you know, he just, he lived in my spirit always. So they're closed right now because of this pandemic. So, I'm waiting. My instructor, you know, she loves Chapman so much, and she still works there, and we've stayed in touch. And she said, you know, I'm not going to be able to replace him. There's not going to be another Chapman. I mean, she's probably trained thousands of dogs, and she has his picture on her desk. So I don't think it's just me. I don't think it's like the mom thinking the kid's the best. You know, he was a really special dog. And... She said she was keeping an eye out, but now everybody's been gone. So they have a whole department at Leader Dogs for transitioning because they know it's hard to get a new dog and while you're grieving your old dog. And so they help you. And she said, you know, they have a whole new program where you don't have to go to them. They come to you. If you're a graduate and you've already had a dog, they'll come to you and stay with you for 10 days. And, you know, they call it transitioning a new dog. I don't have to do the 30-day training again. Just kind of do a refresher and a bonding with the new dog. So she's keeping an eye out, and she did really good the first time. So I trust her, and I'm glad she's still there. 
How has your art changed and perhaps saved your life? Well, I have more confidence in my ability and my pieces. Like I said, I did that incredible guitar and then I sort of went backwards a little bit. You know, Susan really set me free. Uh, You know, she helped me just do everything by intuition. And that's really how I did the guitar to start with. It was just my gut. Nobody was telling me I wasn't watching how-to videos or anything like that. I didn't even really relate to that at that time. And it saved me because it just released the creativity in me. It gives me something to do all day. And people respond to it. I'm in an activist group, and the woman that runs it saw my art, and she bought a piece the same day, the first day she saw it. Because this resonates with me so much. And when we FaceTime or when she's doing a video, I see my piece behind her. And it's just um, validating. Because I think I'm just keeping myself busy. Because I don't really go anywhere. And when someone feels something, it's just, there's nothing like it. Not even signing a big lease. There's nothing like someone feeling what's in your soul. So, yeah, I think that saved me. Took a while to get there. Time's running out, so it's time for the Rocky Nate. First thing that comes to your mind, there is no pressure. (laughs) Since your vision has decreased, is there one sense that has increased more than the others? No. What's your spirit animal? Wolf. What's your favorite scent, and what memories does it invoke? Uh, Red currant. And it's um, calming and soothing. And it reminds me of getting closer to my daughter-in-law through some rough times because we both love red currant. When I burn a red currant candle, I'm so relaxed and at peace. Is there something you wanted to do as a child but never did? Skydiving. Now, this is one thing that my wife wanted to know. Do you listen to music while you create, and what genre? Um, my musical taste is vast. Music is a huge part of my life. So the genre's kind of hard, mostly 70s rock and indie bands, but, you know, I listen to Native American music. I listen, I listen to a little bit of everything. If you could commission a famous artist to do something for you, what would it be? Probably a really beautiful painting of my girls, but in an artsy way. (laughs) Where's your favorite vacation spot? I'm going to say the Netherlands. If you could see one thing with 100% clear vision just once, it would be what? I don't know why this popped in my mind because he's not here anymore, but my father... Her favorite scent is red currants, her grandkids call her Mimi, and her spirit animal is a wolf. Artist Helene Abramson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, leave a review, and subscribe. And that, my friends, is Beyond the Mic. Beyond the Mic.